At 6.08 p.m. on August 4, 2020, Beirut was shook by the most powerful non-nuclear explosion since the end of the Second World War. The blast caused at least 178 deaths, thousands of injuries and left an estimated 300,000 people homeless. It was linked to 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate, which had been seized by the government in 2013 and since then were stored without proper safety measures just blocks away from downtown. Today, I am talking to my friend Wael Ayubi. Wael was born and raised in Beirut. He will explain how he experienced the moment of the disaster, its immediate aftermath, and the situation on the streets in the following days. This is Inside Lebanon. My name is Paul Schlag. All right, Habibi, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. You're most welcome, Habibi. I know we should uh, give our, our time helping people, but also we should give time to let the people outside of Lebanon see and know what's happening. Tell me what exactly happened eight minutes past six on the 4th of August and where were you? Well, actually, I was at work. It was like a normal day. We were just the first day after lockdown. We had a four day lockdown because of coronavirus. I just arrived to work like at 5.30. Hmm. Uh, everything was normal, like some customers came in, were like making drinks, serving food. Yeah. And the funny part is like, uh, I was chit-chatting with a customer, like who's also my friend. Yeah. Uh, at 6.08, like on the terrace of the, of the, of the store. Uh, and she ordered a drink, okay? So mm -hmm. as soon as I stepped in the bar to make her a drink, I felt like, we all felt, like a huge earthquake. Everything mm -hmm. in the, like the whole building shaked. Electricity went off. We felt like a, a major earthquake, if you want. Yeah. Uh, we were all scared. We were all surprised. I, like, I instantly turned to see the customers. They were all afraid, like, what's happening? Mm. And then a huge white cloud came in blasting all the glass, blasting all the walls, the tables, the chairs. Like literally the customers were, were flying, you know, mm. flying and hitting the, the glass and the wall. And I, from the field that I was facing and from the, from, uh, from all this fear and the, like uh, the shock I was in, I was seeing everything in slow motion. Like was literally yeah. seeing the shattered glass from the whole building rain down on the customers. Just in slow motion, I was seeing them being cut in the head, in the arms, in the back, in every part of their body. And I can't, I couldn't do nothing. It was one of the most awful scenes I, I ever saw. And I couldn't do nothing for like two or three minutes because I, I just stood you were in, in my place and not realizing. Yeah. And when I started to help them and take the glass out of their body, clean up their wounds, take uh, take them to the hospital, I was afraid to take them to the hospital because. This is it, like, for all of us, it was, we all felt like this is the moment we die. You know, like, another blast is surely to happen, and mm -hmm. we will die. 
What? You, what? Why were you thinking there would be another blast? Because of the fear you were. Look, uh, the first thing, the first thing we we all thought of when we uh, when the explosion happened. Hmm. First of all, we everyone in every city in Beirut and outside Beirut thought that their their city or their city has been bombed because hmm. the explosion was so so huge that you wouldn't consider it would be from the harbor, which is like six or seven kilometers away from Hamra. Yeah, we thought like just the street behind us was bombed. And we don't know if by Israel or by Hezbollah, we still don't know anything. How long like, did, how long did that, uh, that stage you were in this, uh, not knowing what's happening, and for like half an hour, because hmm. no news covered anything for the, even the news didn't know what happened. You're scared of um, leaving the building because you were immediately expecting another airstrike from. Yeah. From whoever force. caused the first, yeah. From whoever caused the first. How did you, um, how did you find out what it was? From the news, after like 30, 40 minutes, I told you. Like first of all, they said like uh, the firework uh, warehouse exploded and caused mm. this blast. Uh, nobody believed this news, like because of course <laughs> fireworks wouldn't destroy uh, half the city. Like, Not half the city, the whole city, and half the whole the, city. Yeah. Yeah, half of the cities around it. Mm. You know, and, uh, so when we knew like a warehouse exploded uh, in the harbor, we all we all like figured out like it was the Hezbollah uh, storing weapons mm. inside that harbor. Which I still believe that's the reason. Mm. And as soon as I knew that the explosion came from the harbor, and you know, I told you like two months ago, I moved. To Manhai, yeah, which is the most damaged close. city. Yeah, it's like 100 meters away from the explosion. Uh, and my four dogs were alone in the apartment, so the first thing I could think of is, are my dogs okay? Yeah. So I instantly yeah. left everything I was doing. I tried to go to the seats to grab a taxi, hmm. but you hmm. couldn't, like, the cars weren't moving at all. I think structure-wise, It's interesting to know that Beirut is practically has, I think, two highways, right? And one of them is on the seaside, and the yeah, other one exactly. is the ring road, which ends uh, somewhere near the city center and then becomes a smaller road. Near downtown Beirut. Near downtown. And if the highway on the seaside is blocked at any, uh, any point in the city, there will be a traffic jam on the whole coast. Exactly. Which is what the protesters used during the... Uh, to block the roads, exactly. During the protest, right? Yeah, exactly. We used to block the, these two roads because when you block the only two highways in Beirut, the whole, whole Beirut will be, uh, be filled of traffic. So basically, that happened. Yeah. Now, this time, not because of protests, but because, because the road was just the... destroyed. Yeah, like because all the buildings in Beirut were destroyed and the streets are full of glass. Like mm. the cars can't even move, they'll just rip off their tires. So I had to walk from Hamra through downtown, through Jemaize, to get to my house in Marm Khalil. Which is around and five this is the kilometers, most... I think, right? Five yeah, like six. five, six kilometers. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't take, it took like half an hour walk, but uh, I must say, like, this half an hour, it felt like a whole year of walking. Mm. Uh, and the things I saw, 
when I was mm. walking in Jamaica and Marmkhayel would make any human being sick and traumatized. Uh, just awful scenes, man. In every cr street I cross, like, I zone out, then I see the destruction and I'm like, oh, this shit is real. I wasn't dreaming of this, mm. you know? Like, we, this really happened. And, like, literally for two days, I, I still, like, I wasn't sure if this happened or not. When you're walking and you see, like, people laying down on the floor and you don't know if they're unconscious or dead. When you see a baby, like, full of blood, left alone crying, uh, searching mm. for his parents. When you see a building torn down, like, just torn apart, like, the whole building is literally down, not the glass. But it collapsed, collapsed mm. building, and you see a hand coming out through those rocks that fell from the building and mm. see all this all this blood on the streets and you're not you're not aware like you're not awake to help them like you know mm. that's the worst part of all like you're not realizing if this is true or not so you could be able to help them mm. so you were walking yeah. to to find your dogs but on the way you saw You, you realized the extent of the destruction. Yeah, yeah, I saw a massacre and like... The only thing that could get through my mind with... Like, every step I took closer to Manchayil, I see more destruction, more blood, and more people mm. dead or full of blood or like severely injured. Mm. Uh, and the only thing... The only thing I can think of is... Are my dogs still alive? And like... Mm. For the last... Uh, Uh, ever since like I I came close to near your your old place hmm. from your old place on, uh, which is also on Marm Khayil, yeah. yeah. It's even more near to the, the my place. But from the amount of destruction I saw, not realizing if my dogs are still alive or not, like I spent the whole week just literally crying without even realizing I'm crying, you know. Yeah, and like I'm seeing all these people that need help and I couldn't help them because I'm not realizing I'm really not not sure if they, these are true or not uh, and at this at this point in time you still didn't know whether it was uh, what kind of explosion it was whether it was a uh, an accident or negligence yeah. or an, an attack even yeah exactly like uh, mm. till now we, the only news that we got is that the firework warehouse exploded the first day was only that mm. no other news came out came down than this uh, Yeah, the first thing is like when I came to my apartment, like the front door was shattered. There was no mm. front door. Uh, so I just, there was no electricity and it was like a bit dark. It gets dark pretty yeah, early in Beirut, that's I think. Um, at like seven. Yeah. So you were yeah, walking like in basically in the. Uh, in, 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 in dusk. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and I saw like everything in my house is destroyed. It's all the closets, it's all the glass, all the doors, all the windows. Hmm. Nothing in, is in its place. Uh, and even like part of the glass is on the floor, but the other part of the glass is went right through the walls. <laughs> wow! So you know how the, how big the shock the shock wave is. Like the glass was literally like stuck in through in the wall. In the concrete walls of your apartment. In the concrete walls. Yeah. 
So, like, if me or my flatmate were inside the house at the time of the explosion, we would have died easily or, like, got severely injured. Hmm. Yeah, like, uh, I think the dogs, you know, like, I don't think, like, I know the dogs, like, uh, they sense what's gonna happen if something bad is happening. So, I guess, like, hmm. they instantly, like, went under the bed or under the table, under whatever, yeah. and protected themselves. And that's how, they, no one got injured. How did you, or when, when did you realize uh, that your friends might be in the same situation as you? And how did you reach out and um, make sure that they are fine? Uh, okay, so I told you, like, when I went back to my apartment and saw my dogs, I literally collapsed for, like, an hour. Hmm. And I realized, like, okay, I have to do something about it. I can't, like, stay like this. I just reinstalled, like, the front door and... In a way that uh, it can manage to stand, to to lock it, to lock, yeah. Mm. Uh, and I went down to the streets. I started walking to see if people still need help. Like, of course, people still need help till now. So mm. I tried to help as many people as I can. I met, I like came across with my friends. They realized that I should talk to my family and friends, see where where they were. I started. Mm. Like texting everyone I know, everyone I care about. Some of my friends got like seven stitches in their back, some mm. wounds on their arms and legs. Yeah, but that's it. Like, what was your impression um, of the the immediate emergency relief available? Um, I saw scenes of people trying to get into a hospital and being rejected because there was not not enough capacity. Um, exactly. How was how was your experience? Uh, you know, the thing is with the hospitals, uh, we don't have much beds, and you know most mm. of the hospitals that were near the explosion, they didn't have electricity. Surgeries yeah. were being made on on the phone flashlight. That's that's how disgusting our government is, and uh, yeah, like uh, hospitals were rejecting like the minor cuts. Telling people to go to the pharmacies because they want to keep more space to severely injured people, you know. And mm. what they did is like uh, it's logic, you know. Like if you have yeah. a few cuts, yeah. like I had a few cuts in my left arm, but like very minor. So I didn't even go to a pharmacy. But that's what they should do. Like they should reserve the the rooms for the severely injured ones, because you know, like more than seven thousand or more than six thousand people got severely injured. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Hospitals won't consider, won't like, uh, won't fit all these people in one day. You know, it's too much. Considering also like, most hospitals uh, gave up like some of their uh, sections inside the hospital for the COVID mm. cases. So like rooms got less and less for for such injuries. What did you do after you made sure that your friends were okay? You um, left the dogs in the apartment. It was already dark and yeah. there was no electricity. What was the situation like after that? Uh, after that, like, I got back home and just to realize, like, uh, it's not a home anymore. It's more like a terrace. Everything's <laughs> yeah. open, like, and the whole apartment's just open, you know? So uh, I had to. At least you had a lot of fresh air, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it's windy right now. 
uh, <laughs> yeah, so I had to uh, get a place to sleep in. Like, so I called my friend and asked her to if I can sleep at hers. Mm. Uh, Who lives outside of the immediate impact zone? Yeah, she's she's still in Beirut. Yeah, her her house wasn't damaged, mm. but uh, like the street she lives in got also damaged. But her place was. The windows were all open, the doors were all open, so... Okay, but the walls were still holding. Yeah, yeah, they're still holding. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, I spent the night at my friend's. And then the next morning I came to my house for the cleanups. Do you know whether... Um, you know, how that, how that first night was? I imagine you were out... I mean, did you... The first night, like, the first two nights, actually, I couldn't sleep, like... Uh, Every time, like, I close my eyes for like literally like, for like two minutes, you wake mm. up sweating, you wake up crying, you wake up like in such mm. fear. What happened the uh, next morning? Uh, next morning, like as soon as I woke up, I went uh, from Furnish back from my friend's place to Marm Khalil to mm. clean up my house. Uh, mm. A lot of people, like, uh, of my friends, like, and my flatmate's friends came to help. Uh, we were like almost 12 or 13 people here in the apartment cleaning the apartment. We were mm. able to remove all the all the broken glass uh, in the matter of like three or four hours. Yeah. We cleaned as much as we can. Uh, then we had to hit the streets or hit like other friends' apartments. Mm. Uh, we went to, to two more apartments of our friends. Then we went to the streets, uh, help some some people I know that have uh, that have stores here in Mamkhayel and Jumaizah, like pubs and pool places. For the next two three days, we started helping people, cleanups, uh, stuff from, like that. From morning to evening, until yeah, of course. it got dark again. Yeah, because as I told you, there was no no electricity hmm. throughout the streets, so you couldn't work at night. And the funny part is, like, till this day, like, the explosion happened eight days ago, okay? Mm. The cleanup mm. started, like, seven days ago. Mm. Till this very day, like, we didn't see any officer. No one helped us. The only people that were working are civilians. No one related to the government, no one related to the state, no to the police, no the army did anything. They would just, they would just stand beside us, smoke. Uh, like harass harass girls and women, mm. eat, mm. laugh, and they wouldn't like put a hand with us, which is awful. Which makes them, which makes you hate them as much as you hate politicians in your country. Like, so the people yeah. were helping themselves, and the representatives of the state were standing right next to them, and they were doing like, nothing. Yeah, no, they they were doing something. They were smoking, they were eating, they were laughing and harassing women that were cleaning. Yeah, that's how how awful our our, our country is. Like not our country, like but the state. I mean, the ruling the ruling elite. Something that I um, would be personally interested in. Um, the, the night that the blast happened, immediately after, it got dark. So, could I imagine there was a pretty big 
urge to stay up all night and um, and search for people under the under the rubble and the and the ruins but you you couldn't do it because it was because there was no light yeah and uh, like uh, the second day that all the europe countries sent uh, firefighters and rescue teams to help search for the lost ones hmm. Uh, the government didn't let them to go in at the first day. So yeah, like they, uh, we lost one day of rescuing, searching and rescuing because of them. Hmm. Like even after the explosion, all the people and all the country was hurt. They won't even consider helping. They would just consider like hiding the evidence hmm. and taking advantage of the situation. We lost one day of rescuing, searching and rescuing because of them. Hmm. Like even after the explosion, all the people and all the country was hurt. They won't even consider helping. They would just consider like hiding the evidence hmm. and taking advantage of the situation. What what happened so far? It's it's been seven days. Um, there's still over a hundred people, hundred people missing. There has been um, a pretty big uh, cry for help. And it has probably also been answered by multiple actors. The French president Macron was in Beirut. There were yeah, fundraisers, private ones. He came down to the people and our leaders didn't. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about that now? About your situation, the support that you or the, um, the Lebanese uh, people have gotten from the international community um, what's uh, what's your feeling right now like all the help we got uh, from the international community and specifically from the European community and European countries hmm. is what is what like gave us hope again hmm. uh, like also also many Arab countries helped us many Arab and uh, European countries helped us and that's the only thing that would let us keep going you know mm. because when we see such great countries and great people helping when we see ourselves helping each other mm. like when you think about it that's all we need as human beings that's all we need to survive it changed it changed a lot of mindsets like many people that used to hate on european countries would mm. now like worship them you know yeah uh, yeah and i told you before like the what's keeping us like semi alive and giving us like the tiniest of hope is the support we got from all these countries yeah what's your what's your personal situation right now your your apartment is um i think okay you you're again living in your apartment you're trying to help out yeah, your I mean, like for the neighbors as much as possible Exactly, like uh, for the last three days I've been sleeping here in my apartment. Hmm. Uh, all the glass is removed. Uh, we try to fix as many things as possible and yeah, like helping our neighbors. Hmm. Uh, because like many, many neighbors and many people who live here, hmm. there are a lot of elderly people who live alone, who like, uh, yeah. who are, like are the original uh, citizens of, of these two streets you know yeah ogs yeah ogs 
yeah, most of them like live alone and don't get as many as much help as they they have to get. Yeah. You know, and, uh, like the NGOs are doing more than fine helping them, but still yeah. need to need to get to get them all the help they can get. Mm. One thing that I um, I'm asking myself um, when I lived on Armenia Street, which is uh, close to your apartment. Um, yeah, same street. Same street. All the supermarkets and all the shops that I would go to are on Armenia Street. Exactly. Um, I I I'm having problems imagining how you're getting uh, your uh, your food and your supplies at the moment. I'm. Well, actually, like uh, the food I've been getting from since the explosion till now, are, and how we are we're all getting uh, food in these two streets are from the NGOs who are distrib mm. distributing like uh, humanitarian aid mm. with food supplies and like, medical mm. supplies and everything yeah so basically we're living out of them like eating out of them which NGOs are those and um, how there is... are many NGOs mm. like the Lebanese food bank is doing good mm. uh Like some NGOs from Turkey came, from mm. Saudi Arabia, from Germany, from France. The Red like Cross. Lots of NGOs, like the Red Cross, of course. Like mm. the Red Cross is the, the most important NGO that is helping people. Mm. Uh, yeah, like there, there's more than 50 NGOs, I think, that are helping here in these two uh, mm. two streets. So they have. Um They have supply tents set up, or do they walk from house to house? Actually, they have they have supply tents, but also they're walking from house to house because, as I told you, there are a lot of elderly people here that live in, mm. in these streets, and they can't go walk. Mm. Like they only stay in the apartment, so mostly like they have supply tents. Whoever is able to go to the supply tents should go, but they they also like turn down houses to see the, the elderly people and to help them, mm. since they can't go outside to the tents I have to say it breaks my heart a little bit to um, to know that you know someone like you you're working double jobs you were driving anywhere I think you paid my club entrance multiple yeah. times <laughs> without <laughs> me being able to reimburse you um, that you're just There's no infrastructure to uh, to get food anymore, and you're being the, supplied there by are some NGOs. Places now that you can get, yeah, like uh, you can't get food like uh, in some places in Hamra. But like uh, the thing is, like considering me, I'm talking like uh, most of my stuff and like, were destroyed, and like uh, I lost many many things, including my salary and. Mm. Stuff like that in the explosion. So, yeah, that's why I have to live out of the NGOs. Do you mean by uh, you lost your salary that... Um, They were in cash, like inside the house. And it was buried. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, I think that's something that is just so surreal. I can't even, um, can't, can't even imagine um what that would be like uh yeah it's like 
you can't you can't imagine it until somebody lives it and uh, as i told you once before like no creature on on earth or on any, or any, on any planet should live what we lived mm. like nobody deserves this i think the or do you think the problem with um salary being buried or lost during the explosion because it was stored in cash is something that a lot of people experienced because I have you know, this is the second time I hear that although yeah, the first time my friend was able to find it again in the rubbles uh, uh, I'll tell you what like uh, of course a lot of people uh, suffered from this because of the problems we have we're having in the banks you know, like we're getting our our salaries in the bank, but like the bank is uh, there's a there are a lot of problems between the people and the bank. So most people are like uh, just uh, cashing out their salaries fully, like yeah. they're taking out everything outside the bank and sewing sewing the cash in their homes. And that's what mm. that's what I've been doing for like the last six seven months. Mm. You know, I'm not leaving any kind of money, any amount of money in the in my bank account. Hmm. So yeah. No. What do you think is the way forward? What do you see right now? Uh, the way forward is for us to realize that uh, the neglection of the politicians and the governments that ruled at least from the 2012 till now hmm. killed us. Hmm. It killed. Every, it killed our city. It killed every memory we had in this city mm. and uh, I was talking about something yesterday with my friends like most people are saying uh, Beirut will rise again and have hope and have hope I think Nabi Bire the president of the parliament who is a Shia elite ex-militia general uh, and current militia general or current <laughs> Sad enough. <laughs> Sad enough. Um, <laughs> and he posted something uh, like Beirut will rise like the phoenix from the ashes, which is something that's um, it, it's very cocky to say for someone who caused the ashes. Exactly. And it's, you know, like uh, the symbol of Lebanon is the phoenix because we've been through so many wars and you always rose up again. Yeah. But this time it's different. Like, This time it's not a war. There's no mm. enemy in front of you. There's only corrupt politicians mm. who neglected the fact that there's there are dangerous explosive materials mm. stored in the harbor near one of the most populated places in Beirut. Mm. And uh, no, we shouldn't say that we will rise again. We shouldn't have hope. We should have anger. Like mm. we should realize that they killed us and they killed everyone we love and they killed our city. They killed mm. our memories and we should avenge that. Hmm. Not saying we'll have hope and we'll rebuild and everything's so bright and shiny. No, we should have anger. This was the first episode of Inside Lebanon. There are many ways to support the people of Lebanon. One of them is to donate money. If you want to do so, you'll find two links in the episode description. The first one is for the Red Cross, which Wael recommended. The second one is a private fundraiser for Wael and his community himself. Whatever you donate here in the next week will be sent to Wael directly and he will use it to support his neighbors and the people around him. Any donation helps, even if it's just 5 euros. 
Thank you for listening and hear you next week. Bye.